0: going? Welcome to Tell You What the Podcast, where we talk with musicians and songwriters about music and songs. My name is Mike. On our episode today, we're lucky enough to have the full complement of the indie band The Accidentals. Sav Buist, Katie Larson, and Michael Douse all joined us for a great chat centered around their new EP, Time Out Session One. More on The Accidentals in a second. I'd like to take a minute to set my current scene. While I recorded the Accidentals interview a while back, right now I'm recording this introduction in Charlottesville, Virginia, in the Attic home studio of David Wax and his wife, Suze Slezak, who comprised the band David Wax Museum. In fact, David was a guest on our previous episode, you should check that out. I was in town on some other business, and David and Suze were kind enough to let me use their space for a bit. So a big thanks to them for being so generous and accommodating. They even served me some delicious lunch, and I got a tour of Suze's gardens. The other thing that's going on here right now is that Dave and Suze have just begun construction on what will be a beautiful music studio in their backyard. A remarkably wonderful fan of their music is helping them build it. He's a builder of some pretty cool stuff, in fact, and he has also pledged a matching grant to fund the project. David and Suze have raised a lot of the needed funds from their amazing fans, but if you are a fan of their music, or frankly, fan of supporting artists trying to come up with creative ways to keep getting their art out into the world, please check out this project at their website davidwaxmuseum.com. I've seen the plans for the studio and it looks really amazing. I'll tell you, it is heartwarming and life-affirming to see not only the love and support Dave and Suze's fans have shown them on this project, but the creativity and dedication the two of them have exhibited in putting this thing together. So go check it out, davidwaxmuseum.com. You can click on Extras and Barn Raising to get the details. Okay, time to focus on today's episode. I had such a blast talking with Katie, Sav, and Michael from The Accidentals. They are smart, funny, thoughtful, caring, and very hardworking young artists. By the way, they are also extremely talented multi-instrumentalists, technically skilled, and creative at the same time. While still in their mid-20s. They've probably put in more road time and played more shows than a lot of artists much older than they. As they discussed, they really love touring and playing. So when quarantine hit, it hit them pretty hard. It was a big, abrupt change. But like David Wax talked about in the last episode, they decided to make the best of it and really got to work. Here is some of what they did. They built out a home studio, learned how to use it, finished recording a full-length album on their own, did a series of live streams, Patreon shows, they did a bunch of other stuff I can't remember right now, but it was a lot, and they started regular collaborations with other songwriters via Zoom. This new EP, Time Out Sessions, was the product of some of those collaborations. As the band says, they got the chance to work with some of their songwriting heroes, world-class songwriters. Each of the songs on this EP is a co-write with a different one of these collaborators. Songs make up a really great collection. They are reflections on what the band, and in fact, all of us, were going through over the last year. And as we discuss, the songs are both personal and universal, as the best songs often are. So now that things look to get back to some version of normal, look for the accidentals in a venue near you. I know they'll be getting out as soon as they can. And enjoy this time-out EP and our fun discussion around it. So let's get to it. Here's our Tell You What discussion with Katie, Sav, and Michael from The Accidentals.
1: Look at what we have. We get diamonds out of broken glass.
2: might as well be gold shining in the dust might as well be
0: gold all right katie michael sav the accidentals welcome to tell you what the podcast thank you for joining us today
3: thanks for having us yeah happy to be here tell you what
0: tell you what (laughs) i am in our home studios in Evanston, Illinois. You are in your home state of Michigan. Do I have that right?
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: Okay. So since we have all three of you here, which I consider a great honor, I'd like to give each of you a chance to talk uh, at the beginning here a bit about what music you remember hearing in your earliest memories. So in your homes or communities, what do you remember musically? And if some of that maybe influences your creative process now,
3: right out of the gate. Yep. The hard hitters. (laughs) Oh
1: man. What do you think? Kate? Um, so, this is Katie speaking. Hello, everyone. Um, my earliest memories, I don't know, is a big mishmash of genres since my, um, both my parents kind of have this background in, like, classical music and jazz and musical theater, and my dad's a classical pianist, and my mom studied voice, so I listen to a lot of musical theater, uh, soundtracks, actually. I think Mm -hmm. Michael and I overlap in that, so, um... Listening to soundtracks um, and classical performances, um, you know, a little bit of bluegrass. There's this great uh, concert series here in Michigan at this, the Sand Dunes. Um, so we'd go out and listen to bluegrass music every year at the Sand Dunes. And then, like in the car, my dad would play like we had like every bare naked ladies CD and like this <laughs> collection of like alternative and pop music. Um, and like Red Hot Chili Peppers would be playing on like Sundays. When my dad made pancakes, stuff like that.
3: Yep. I, uh, I'm speaking. I grew up in Nashville. I was born there. And, um, as a result, I heard a lot of, um, the chicks on the radio and Bonnie Raitt and Johnny Cash and John Prine, all these people. Um, so I kind of grew up on that from a really young age, but, um, and your
0: parents were in the industry.
3: Yeah. My dad was also a pianist. Um, not the classical kind,
0: <laughs> but right.
3: he's a really talented multi instrumentalist, actually. So he was, uh, doing a lot of session work and, Uh, was a touring musician in Nashville and uh, my mom was also in the industry as an R&B singer so the two of them did gigs a lot together and then eventually I came around and um, (laughs) we ended up uh, moving to Michigan when I was really young probably around five or six and a lot of my music memories became ski trips to Crystal Mountain and uh, on the way my dad would play like Radiohead and Fountains of Wayne and um, True love, Rhett Miller, like all these like indie rock bands. So like started out very Americana, went to indie rock, and that totally makes sense for the music that we write now. <laughs> right, um, Michael, about you?
2: Yeah, I I was raised on a on a whole mishmash between my my mom and my dad. Um, my mom's a, a classically trained singer, and so um, I heard a good deal of choral music growing up. Um, like I I happen to remember like the PAA zoo. Was a big one in our house, um, but then my dad was um, like very much uh, an '80s guy um, when he was in college, and so he introduced me to like Final Records and things like that. I was actually thinking about this the other night because I specifically remember the song "Lullaby" by The Cure okay. in my youth. And I remember calling it The Song That Never Ends because it has like (laughs) one of those two-minute like instrumental outros, and when I was a kid, two minutes of instrumental outro was like forever. <laughs> um, But that that's a song that has stuck with me oh my through my life, and um, but then on my mom's side, she played me a lot of like Elton John and Barry Manilow and stuff like that. Now so. that
3: makes sense for <laughs> for who you are as a person.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm Barry Manilow mixed with The Cure as a person.
0: <laughs> Sounds that's a good combination, I
2: think.
1: <laughs> you know, it's so funny you're talking about like um, as a as a kid, you kind of like have these weird associations with music, like apart from like the actual title and i'll have to share with you guys sometime like um there's this friend of ours who uh is nannying three kids and they all have different names for our songs like uh, (laughs) like oh man i'll pull i'll pull them up later and share.
0: we may have to do a follow-up episode (laughs) so the three of you then were raised in michigan right so have you moved there at a young age can we talk about the musical traditions and the music scene in michigan I've come to realize there's a strong tradition there. Some of our listeners might be surprised to hear that. They might think of Detroit, Motown, some of the 70s rock that came out of there. But maybe you can talk about the more traditional music scene there, the folk, string band music, and how that has influenced you.
3: Yeah. Um, I can definitely speak to that. I uh, This is Sav. I was... Um Kind of getting involved in the folk scene at a pretty young age, like around 12, I knew I wanted to play violin in a band one day. And um, so I started kind of taking my violin to places around town uh, with my parents. My parents and I were in a family band for a while, and um, I would just sit in with other musicians around town. So uh, there was also a really strong Celtic fiddling scene um, in Mm. Traverse City where I grew up. And so I would kind of hop in and, like, learn a fiddle tune from somebody by ear and, like, just, you know, here's the A part, here's the B part. Okay, go. And we would, like, play that together for, like, tips at the state hospital or something, you know. Yeah, oh, wow. they, there's this um,
1: space, uh, Building 50, uh, which, like Sav mentioned, used to be this uh, this big old hospital that has been refurbished by like artists and uh, restaurants and like shops and farmers markets. And they do like this big indoor folk festival every year. So that was some of our first gigs as a band was like running down those hallways and jamming. Yeah, we're
0: talking about the Traverse City area here.
3: Yeah, Traverse City, Michigan. And honestly, that that area, that Building 50 Commons area is a good metaphor for how the community is in Traverse City. It's very like art focused. It's very collaborative um, there's just a really strong scene for musicians. Like every year, the Traverse City Film Festival um, by Michael Moore will like have musicians open for all the movies. And so it's a great way to just get exposed to a lot of people. Like we picked up a sync licensing thing through that where we ended up scoring a movie just because we were playing before one was showing. Oh. So.
0: Would I be correct in saying that Billy Strings kind of came out of that greater scene also?
2: Yeah.
3: Yeah, we used to cycle around town. <laughs> we used to see him on his bicycle. <laughs> like, he's a, He was great. You know, that was um, one of our first collaborations ever was working on our album, Bittersweet, and calling him up, up and asking if he could play banjo on our record, on our song, Mangrove. So mm-hmm. we, you know, it was a very, it's always been a really collaborative scene ever since we were, like, 15 and 16, we were really taken under the wing of other local musicians in the area.
0: Yeah. So let's talk about collaboration in songwriting and the creative process. I always find it interesting to hear different takes on how artists work together. You all have quite a history here. So, Sav and Katie, you met in high school, in art school. Do I have that right?
3: Actually, no, we met in public school. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, we ended up transferring to and Arts Academy for about a year, but we started out at Traverse City West Senior High, Got and it. um met in our public high school orchestra program. So Okay,
0: so was there an immediate creative collaboration between you two as far as songwriting or did that develop over time or how did that how, how did that come to
1: well, be? Well, I don't I mean I met Sav and I was I was like that kid in class who secretly wrote songs, like, in my bedroom and was, like, way too afraid to even, like, give a presentation in front of the class, much less, like, sing about my feelings. Yep. And Sav had, like, never written a song before we started, like, collaborating together, but she had, like, written all these epic um, short stories, and, like, like you had, like, an
3: entire novel written by the time I knew you. Um I was doing gigs around town, too, is the funny thing. But I was just convinced that I would never play another instrument other than the violin. I'm only a harmony singer. I don't write songs. I don't sing lead. Like, all those things. I just told myself that. And then I met Katie, and she's like, what What do you mean? You can write songs. Like, this is, this is how you do it. <laughs>
0: so it hadn't crossed your mind that you were writing fiction and making music, but that these two things couldn't make sense together?
3: Yeah, no. I, I never really, like, I ended up being inspired by Katie's kind of bravery diving into that field. Yeah, I think it's really easy to, especially
1: in high school, to like put yourself in a box, and I, it's something that I still kind of struggle to break
3: out of. Is like, oh man, I wish I could do this, but nah, can't. That's that's not me. <laughs> like, I mean, that's part of growing up too. Is just recognizing the limitations you put on yourself and then breaking all.
0: So, Katie, how did you make your way out of the bedroom and start having the guts to bring your songs out?
1: Oh, I mean, it was definitely through. Um, uh, you know, playing music with Sav, I mean, I think well, the first time we jammed was, like, on the school bus, maybe? You had a ukulele, yeah. and I was like, hey, I know how to play ukulele. And we started, like, singing this White Stripes song together, um, We're Gonna Be Friends. Yeah. Ha-ha. prophetic. And um, <laughs> then uh, I came over to her house, and we actually uh, worked up. Set because we were both part of this alternative styles for strings club, which was like <laughs> the especially nerdy kids in the orchestra who,
3: who met <laughs> after school and played like Led Zeppelin. And we had cold, plot sheet music arrangements of like Cashmere by Led Zeppelin. We play it in our little quartet, like
0: doot, 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 doot,
3: wow, doot. <laughs> which, uh, which even that was like a little easier because at least you're in a, in, a, in a
1: group and you don't have to sing in front of people, but um. You know, Sav and I, we both had really similar tastes in indie music at the time. Like, we started learning cover tunes of, like, the White Stripes, but also Sufjan Stevens and Andrew Bird Arcade and St. Vincent. Yeah. Or Jones. Yeah. Um, all this sort of uh, genre-bending orchestral indie folk pop was coming out, um, and we started covering that, and, like, our first gig was, like, opening for Sav's family's band, and eventually, like... Uh, singing with Sav was the thing that made me more comfortable because instead of just having one voice our music from the the top was very harmony driven So there's like two people singing uh, together which has a lot more comfort in it
0: so the fact that you were more comfortable singing with someone else made you more comfortable perhaps bringing your original songs out
1: yeah yeah totally um i I could just pull out a song and then have Sav sing harmony and like fiddle on it and then bam it was like it was like (laughs) twice as cool
0: yeah okay michael you come in a few years later right a musically creative person yourself i understand you have put out a couple albums of original material right yeah. so how did you negotiate your way into this group from a creative perspective obviously you bring the percussion talents and sounds which maybe weren't there before but now you're joining two people who've been writing and creating together for a while so how'd you find your way in
3: blackmail yeah <laughs> all right <laughs> yes exactly uh,
2: I, I have dirt that nobody else knows um <laughs> <laughs> no but i was a i was a huge fan of them um i met them in 2013 at a music festival uh in northern michigan called bliss fest shout out bliss fest um and i was a like i would literally listen to their album bittersweet like every day after like coming home from work as like a busboy at a restaurant <laughs> it was like my high school job right and i just loved the record and so i knew it like inside and out and um i had You know just started talking with them over to like facebook and stuff and um we became pretty good friends and uh at one point in the summer in 2014 i was like hey can i like come and hang up with you guys like for a week or so up north and they were like yeah and then um that turned into hey do you want to play shows with us for a month and I like already knew a lot of the songs, and so it kind of it kind of worked out pretty easily. Which then turned into like, hey, do you want to drop out of college and <laughs> come on the road with us <laughs> full time? And uh, it was it was kind of a very quick, uh, fast moving thing. But I'm so glad that it happened. Um, and yeah, so I kind of just like it was almost one of those like I've said before the um the the dream of like you go to a concert and like they come out on stage and they're like our drummer broke his hand, and we right. have somebody in the crowd that knows all the songs to play right now. And, like, that kind of, in a sort of roundabout way, sort of happened. So, yeah, the Queen's uh, World 4 or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I am Garth in that scenario. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so I, I got hooked up that way, and we've literally just been, like, on the road ever since, pretty much.
0: Did you have any difficulty becoming a contributor creatively from the songwriting side? Um,
3: Katie and I actually do about fifty-fifty of the songwriting for the band. Lately, okay. we've been starting to do like co-writing in between, and okay. we're actually working on a song right now yeah. in the studio.
2: Yeah. I would say if if I contribute things, it's more to do with arrangement um, I got aspects it. of songs and and things like that. Especially since we've been recording a lot of things ourselves um, these days in our, in our studios, it's kind of been more on the like engineering, producing, arranging okay. uh, side of things.
0: All right. So let's talk about the, the process as it is now. Um, you just alluded to that, Sav, about the 50, 50. So we're not necessarily talking about the process for this EP, which may have been, be different than your usual one, but let's talk more generally. If there is a general process, are you each working individually on a song, bring it to the group, starting together, um, how? What is the life cycle of maybe a, a creative process for you?
3: Yeah. Well, I, I just want to point out that, like, first and foremost, we are mostly an indie band, uh, which is why it's really funny that we've kind of taken on this secondary project and gone kind of more down an Americana route. Um, both things kind of coexist at the same time, so they have really different processes to get there as well. But okay. the um, the indie rock portion of our lives has to do with a lot of individual songwriting Um, and that's you know we we travel like 200 days a year we soak in a lot of information going on around us and songwriting is a good way to therapeutically process it or you know say things that are on our minds that you know we don't really have another way to get out Um, so that was kind of what we used songwriting as for a long time And uh, the process for that is usually just, like, you know, very quiet in our bedrooms, like, kind of messing around on a guitar, respectively, and, like, um, coming to the table uh, maybe a week after or or a a couple months after the song has been concluded and kind of working on arrangement together in, like, the upstairs attic area and just kind of hashing through the song and all of its parts. Like, oh, how do we create the awe moment? All right, do we want people to laugh or cry? Or like, you know, how do we how do we get them to remember these this song? So the arrangement yeah. process is very collaborative. It's very equal. Um, but the writing is usually pretty solitary or was before this record you right. are about to put out.
0: So you individually are bringing something to the group that is, quote unquote, a finished song?
3: Yeah, pretty much. Um, yeah. You know, in the sense that it has
0: has a start, middle, and end, right? Yeah,
3: pretty much. Yeah, with like a couple of maybe lyrical edits until the end. But um, but yeah, the arrangement is like such a huge part of how the song evolves and changes.
0: You mentioned the road. I have the impression pre COVID time that you all were a big time road band. Lots of shows, lots of touring. Do I have that right?
1: Yeah, we, I think. One of our max years was like 250 shows a year. <laughs> That's um, a lot. Bands in Town. Like, we lock everything in Bands in Town and it shows up on our website. And one year they were like, You have toured the most. Accidentals <laughs> have like broken the record this year. I think they put out an article and we were like, We what? <laughs> what? And. <That's laughs> <Yeah. great. laughs> We just, you know, we just like saying yes and and traveling and meeting people, like Sav mentioned. It's great fuel for songwriting, and yeah, um, I mean, it kept us afloat. Again, Sav said, like we're an indie band, and um, we've been through a couple of deals, but touring, um, and the connection with our community and fans is is really what's kept us afloat for the last uh, right six years. Mm-hmm.
0: So you kind of mentioned this already about the way the songs come together. Is there no actual writing you're doing on the road? The ideas come from there, and the actual writing, creating happens when you get back home?
3: I think the writing changes every time. Like, we've never had... I don't think either of us have ever had the same writing process for every single song. Like, sometimes it'll start out as a sticky note on your phone, like Michigan and again. Or, you know, other times it'll start out, like, as a, as a poem in your journal that you did, like when you were in Arkansas for a day, you know. Like, mm-hmm. it changes every time. It's, it's more about collecting the ideas as they come and then finding a way to recycle and stitch them all back together when you have a moment to breathe, which is usually when we get back home.
0: Right. So now, for the last year no road. So what has has this been like in terms of that process now? What have you learned from this forced change in lifestyle?
1: We have learned a lot. I mean, it's kind of a, I think the main thing we've learned over the last year is just to slow
3: down and really dig into um, our process. You know, When we first got off the road, um, there was a decision that needed to be made over whether or not we would, you know, it was like literally towards the beginning of COVID, we were like, all right, we can either fly to Portland now and work with Tucker Martin, this amazing producer, and do this album and possibly get stuck there for the foreseeable future because of the virus, or we go home and, you know, we figure it out from there. And uh, we decided to go back home because we just didn't know how long this was going to last. And you know, about a month in, I had started writing this OBS tutorial, like how to live stream. We were figuring that out. And we were deciding, you know, depending on how long this lasts, what do we need to do to make sure that this album that we've been working on comes to fruition? And so we made this decision. It was a really hard decision. We thought about it for a long time. We were trying to figure out, can we still record this record? Is it possible to record this ourselves? Um, And so, We decided, yeah, we're going to try it. And we built the studio based on the gear that was in our trailer and pinning blankets to the ceiling with thumbtacks and taking all the CD boxes full of CDs that hadn't been sold and building them up into partition walls in the drum room. (laughs) Just, like, taking what we had and turning it into something else. And there's, like, a whole music video that we made um, of us doing this for our song, Might As Well Be Gold, which ends up on this EP. Um, But it it was just, like, this process of... Um, figuring out how to track, comp, engineer, write, produce, arrange, and mix your own album. And that's so much. So, what we learned was not only how to do all of that, but um, how to work with the dynamic of that because it does change. You know, for a band that has been traveling 250 days a year on average and hasn't really you know, had to sit in one space for a long time. Not only did we have to get used to that mentally, but we also had to learn different things about, you know, what role everybody would take making this record. For instance, I'm really kind of an impatient person. I like to do five takes, (laughs) and then I'm like, I'm walk away, come back, I'll comp it, be done. And, you know, I had to be okay with like, okay, this song is not the right tempo. We got to do the whole thing over again okay, we got to do this song over again, like, eight times to get it right. That yeah. was really hard for me to get used to. Katie, you know, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you <laughs> had to, like, get more assertive about what you wanted, you know? Yeah, though, no, that's definitely true. Like,
1: um, it's, I think, art and, and music, too. It's, it's always kind of, like, this state of, of compromise and doing what's, what's best for the music and um, coming up with goals and and kind of staying true to those goals. So definitely like getting more used to uh, sticking to what your heart and your instinct is saying.
3: Michael had to let go of his ego.
2: <laughs> yeah. I, I think that. Um, He's kidding. He
3: doesn't have an ego deaf.
1: <laughs> well,
2: I mean, it's, it's, it's semi true in the way that, you know, sometimes you want to hold on really tightly to a project. And sometimes, you you know, like we the mantra we kept saying was like, kill your darlings Yeah. of like yeah. if we felt like we really needed to start a song over, like instead of just forcing one recording to maybe sound OK with like mixing tricks and things like that, you know, we were like, you know what, let's just let's just do it over. We, we have the time like we mm-hmm. can't go anywhere mm-hmm. <laughs> like we might as well do it right in, you know, in the first time.
0: That's kind of a general songwriting creating lesson, also, right? To kill your darlings, get rid of a verse that you thought was great, that kind of thing.
3: Oh, if I had a dollar for every time, yeah. <laughs> we wouldn't need to be playing music.
0: <laughs> but you know, it's
2: it's hard because when we would when we would do studio days um, before COVID, you know, we would knock out like five songs in like three days just because we. Yeah played them so much on the road and we were so practiced in all of the songs usually before we would go into a studio to record them so like coming with fresh new songs that we like haven't technically played out live yet like maybe we did some live streams or something but like that was a that was a new learning curve of how to like you know build a song uh in the studio without having played it like for 200 days beforehand to really like get a get a good final feel for it
3: but man like what a gift to to have that time to really focus on a song and make it fully intentional like we're prouder of the music that we've recorded in this time than almost anything we've ever done it's just it's really intentional
0: that's great most of the songs in the past that you've recorded have been played live a number of times and I think it's interesting to think about not just from a like a rehearsal standpoint but from how do you know this song is good perspective, right? If you haven't played it live, a lot of artists yeah. won't go into the studio with something they haven't played in front of an audience. So that was different too, right?
3: Major hurdle. Um, luckily, what we had done right before quarantine mm-hmm. was we had an album preview show, a series of album preview shows, where we literally printed out like the whole set list passed them out to the audience, gave everybody pen, and they could vote on a scale of one to five whether or not they thought that the song their versus that song should be on the album and then we tallied up all the votes and that was something we literally did like a week before the world shut down. Oh, so wow. we were kinda lucky to like have kind of a radar and then, you know, Michael's right, like there were some songs that just ended up getting written after the world had shut down and, and like halfway through the album process we're like well we, we kind of have to add this one too or like you know we've been doing these co-writes let's you know make another EP full of music and we hadn't tested out that music so it was it was a, it was a yeah. kind of hybridization of stuff that we were familiar with stuff that we really weren't and one of the biggest hurdles was trying to make decisions you know based on where the song would fit how to serve the song what is the album saying what's the message all of it kind of combining into the production value it was really a new process for us
0: so just to be clear we're talking here uh about an album that is a full-length album that's going to come out later this year right in addition to the ep that we're kind of focusing on today
3: yeah yep Yep.
0: and (laughs) did you end up producing that yourself is that part of what we're talking about here
3: yeah, so there were some songs that we did with uh, producer John Congleton out in Los Angeles. He's worked with St. Vincent, the Decemberist. Yeah. And then uh, some songs that we'd done with Tucker Martin out in Portland, Oregon. And we were going to do, mm-hmm. uh, who, who's done with Nico Case and Sit Steven Stevens and Tao and the Get Down Stay Down. And we were originally going to do the rest of the album with Tucker just because he had the time. And, you know, we had planned it all out. And then we ended up having to go back home. So the yeah. rest of the album is self-produced yeah Yeah. and
1: we we had pretty much uh wrapped the album and we realized that uh, touring wasn't going to come back for a a while so we decided to you know as an indie band we wanted to wait and release our full-length vessel when we could tour it and that's exactly when we really started focusing on the co-writes because this whole time you know We'd been writing with, like, Tom Paxton on Zoom every Monday, and yeah. we'd, like, collected 50 songs that naturally were extremely timely with all the the new feelings we'd been going through um, in quarantine. So that's when we realized, hey, um, let's release some of these co-writes um, with a, an EP called Timeout.
3: And what's right. funny about that is that Vessel's all about perspective, right? And this Time Out EP is all about, you know, grief and processing it and going through the stages of it, because that's, you know, honestly, it's a universal thing that everybody went through this year to some extent.
0: Okay, so now let's talk about the EP, since you've kind of given us the intro about how this came about. This is a collection of songs you co-wrote, the series of songwriters. These are names I recognize, quite a collection of songwriters. Um, That must have been a lot of fun and learning experience for you.
3: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We were. Just, I was.
1: I lost a lot of sleep before the before the co writes. I was like so nervous, but then on the other side, it was extremely fun. Yeah,
3: yeah. all of these co writes happened during quarantine. Um, a lot of it was just through. Okay, so some of it was through our booking agency doing a weekly Zoom call um, every week. Tom Paxson happens to be on our roster, and so. We were just doing this thing where, um, you know, everybody on the on the agency was doing like a song or two. And Tom heard us play and he's like, I want to do co-writing with you guys. Let's do let's have like a weekly routine. Let's get on Zoom every Monday and do a co-write. So that's how that came about very organically. And then, you know, another thing that happened is like after COVID started, um, I wrote this tutorial on this broadcasting software called OBS, OBS. I just, I don't even know, I went into a fever dream and what came out of it was a 40-page manual on how to on a live stream, so... Yeah, she does that sometimes. <laughs> um, but that really connected us to a bunch of uh, venues, I started doing consultations, and okay. in turn, that connected us to a bunch of songwriters, so I actually met Kim Ritchie through that process, and you know, whenever I met these songwriters, I'd be like, hey, are you interested in doing a co-write one day, or like, maybe doing a timeout show, and sure enough yeah there's a lot of people just not doing anything right now and wanting to be creative
0: that's great let's talk about that kim ritchie co-write song wildfire this is a beautiful song harmonies on the chorus are really great so lyrically while you're writing this there were actual wildfires burning right maybe that was the original inspiration but there's also a raging pandemic crazy intense political situation lots of fires right yeah um I want to bring up the string section here, too. I'm not big on string arrangements, but I think I hear, like, flames jumping in these strings. Yeah. Did, I, did I? Oh, yeah,
3: Yes. Yeah. We did it. Um, we did musical foley.
0: <laughs> yes, it worked for me. So can you talk about this song, maybe about the, the wildfire um, metaphor here?
3: Yeah. Um, in this song, wildfire is a metaphor for consequence. It's just this idea that when you look away from a problem for so long, eventually it will kind of burst into flames and, and take over. And um, it's also, the song is also about denial to some extent. You know, one of the first stages of um, grieving that we went through when we first came into this time period. So it, th- this timeout EP is following the order of events and it's arranged that way and Wildfire comes first just because okay. it's just a reaction to everything that we immediately experience this almost like this universal bewilderment um but we tried to end the song i remember um in the process so i'd come to this with the song idea i sent like a voice memo at like midnight maybe one in the morning to kim and to katie right before the co-write i was like how about we start with this and it just had the waiting on the wildfire refrain and a first verse um and i got that waiting on a wildfire refrain from my mom at the dinner table (laughs) she's like she just said it in passing she's like man this whole situation feels like we're just waiting on a wildfire and i was like I'm taking that. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, very quickly when we got on the call, it just really became about reflection um, on a previous time and not really knowing what was coming next. And um, that's where the song hung out for a long time. And then by the time we hit the third verse, which says, you know, uh, over time the wildflowers find a way to bloom where only ashes were before. um, That verse kind of, Felt like the most important thing that needed to be said after all of this catastrophe, there is a chance for growth. Right. Um, So, you know, that whole song really does take a journey that all of us went through this year. And we just felt like it was really important to put it out as fast as possible once we finished writing it with Kim. All our plans went up in smoke. Who knew we were?
2: Drunk on borrowed
1: time
0: talk you know about the song night train co-write with dar williams right yes Yeah. Mm-hmm. this one sounds to me like from a songwriting perspective about going from the personal to the universal in terms of message right at the outset it's a road song the narrator's on a journey But as the song progresses i kind of hear it turn into a bigger picture and then the last part of the lyrics kind of change from as i come back to as we come back right mm-hmm. yeah. so Can you talk about the song maybe in terms of how a song can go from the personal connection or personal impression maybe to more universal?
3: Sure, yeah. Um, So that song had a totally different process as well. Um, We did that one over the course of what had to be at least seven to 10 Zoom calls with Dar. Um, It was really cool because it was basically like what Katie said, just based primarily on conversation. So, you know, Dara had gone on this train ride um, right before the world shut down, and she had all these pictures from it, all these stories of all the people she met and the places that she saw, and she would just, we would just spend hours just talking about this train ride, and um, we would take the notes that we made based on that conversation, and then we'd go turn them into verses, and then we'd send them to her, and she we'd get on another call, and she'd be like, yeah, how about, you know we should change it a little bit so the narrator is kind of thinking this, like, you know, she's getting on this train, she's trying to figure out what happened, and then, you know, by the end of the song, it's like, this is how we reach our solution point, you know, it became, it was very organic how it was, like, started very small and kind of, you know, this person trying to figure out what was wrong with them, and then ended with this, this person getting on the train and realizing that, like, this is what unites us a little bit, is we're all on this together. We definitely didn't want
1: to be too, too naive um, in our hope, but at the same time, like, um, in the place of the EP, too, this is sort of like the light at the end of the tunnel song where, um, I mean, the world was going through a lot of events over those few months that we were writing that song, and I feel like
3: we just needed a little bit of that hope. I think we finished it, like, January. Like we, like January twenty twenty one, we we finished the song and huh. um, played it for the Ann Arbor Folk Festival. A couple of weeks later, we had just finished like the final edit on the lyrics, which there were probably like six to maybe ten different rough drafts of the yeah, lyrics. Totally. So you know, it was it was definitely went through like um, it was almost as long as a train ride. Honestly, the yes. Because the actual metaphor,
0: the, the song was a metaphor for itself. Yeah, literally, it's, it it <laughs> took <laughs> a journey. <laughs> meta.
3: Very meta. Um, but yeah, it is definitely our light at the end of the tunnel song. It's meant to it's meant to represent you know we're coming out of this time and there's still work to be done, but yeah. we're ready to do it.
1: Cold war continues, but now it's inside of us all. Silence surrounds us. We're waiting for morning to come. The Train is still rolling. The bridge is still holding, and there is still work to be done. I'm on the night train. Skyline in sight. Passing a salvage yard into
3: the morning. Taking my time, this country of mine, we'll
1: get it on track. We'll watch the sunrise
3: two or three
1: times as we come back.
0: we we'll watch the sunrise two or three times as we come back. Okay, we talked. Uh, I mentioned the the strings in wildfire. I would like to talk about this a little bit. I understand Katie and Seth, you do also do work as a string team, composing, arranging, recording for other artists, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, carrying so, those like ork-dork roots throughout our, <laughs> our career.
0: <laughs> so can you walk us through a string arrangement project where you're brought into another artist session? Is there a typical way something like this comes together? And maybe talk a little bit about how you view that from a creative perspective, maybe in contrast to writing your own songs.
3: Yeah, I I think um, the first question we usually ask is like, hey, do you you know what's your process? Do you like to write sheet music out? Do you like to you know take a MIDI keyboard and like work out some string ideas, or do you want us to just wing it and kind of go by ear? Um, And it changes every time. Like some people have ideas that they wanna wanna have executed, and some people are like, I don't know, I just kind of want to hear some strings on this. And so, um, you know, I think for us, one of our big priorities is making sure that the strings serve the lyrics. Um, if it's a lyrical based song and if they serve the music, if it's a musical based song, just kind of paying attention to the environment of the actual arrangement. I would say
1: our philosophy has changed a little bit in our personal music. Um, but it really depends on what people are looking for. I can say like our early records, um, we'd hit the studio and like, layer, 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 and we would go as big as possible until we had like a mini orchestra. And um, there's something really satisfying about hearing the, those harmonies layer up and stack. Um, and recently, we have been um, seeing how much we can say with as little as possible and playing around with dissonance and um, really seeing how that can highlight the emotion. Um, So, yeah, like every song is different, but our philosophy has changed a tiny bit.
0: Let's talk about live performance a little bit. With so many songs, uh, so many songs, so many shows under your belt for such young people, you have an interesting perspective on this. I've seen you play a couple of times, always so entertaining, so joyful. What do you think makes for a good live show? What is it that you are trying to bring to the audience?
3: I think we're trying to bring like a sense of connectivity, um, you know, most of the reasons why we write songs are to try and connect with people on like some sort of universal emotional platform. We're trying to say what can't always be said out loud. And then when we get to a show, we're trying, you know, depending on the venue, if it's like a quiet pack room or, you know, you know, a small club, then, you know, we'll tell stories, we'll connect, we'll make, you know, make it really like a like a storytelling experience and play all of our songs that kind of encapsulate just this um very songwriter-esque aspect of what we do mm-hmm. and then you know some shows are just like head banging <laughs> hair let down like rock <laughs> shows at different clubs where we're just trying to bring the energy so i think with our live shows we're just trying to match the energy of of the audience and trying to connect mm-hmm. with them as much as we can but michael yeah. do you have another perspective on it
2: um Only in the way of I always try to make funny faces behind (laughs) Sam and Katie at every show because I know they can't see it, but the audience (laughs) can. Um, And I I find that really funny. But yeah, I think it's just bringing the most joy possible and like really, I I think um, there was a little bit of time um, maybe a few years ago where just from the volume of shows that we were playing, I know I personally was starting to like lose the songs and the touring a little bit and so like mm-hmm. after i kind of saw myself going into that route it kind of became very intentional to like play every show and like really live in it and be super present in it and mm-hmm. not like take it for granted especially now that we <laughs> yeah. haven't been able to to play many shows but um you know just really really be intentional with it like you're like people are coming to see you i think it's easy to have imposter syndrome on the road too like sometimes i'll get on stage and i'll be like Oh, I don't, I don't know. Like, am I am I playing too loud? Am I not doing this thing? And then like people come up to you after the show and are like, "That was amazing," you know. And so it's like really, really sitting in it and really being present and just trying to connect as much as possible with all the people in the room, you know, whether that's two thousand people or twenty oh, people. Oh man, you know? this is
3: making me really miss it. I don't know. I'm Just kind of like, man, like that's you know, it's 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 been difficult to try and transition from all of the people that we used to shake hands with and me and like almost everybody that we've ever you know connected through the music industry into this it's really hard to transition to where you haven't seen them in literally a year but i'm hoping that it comes back
2: i can't wait to see everybody we were (laughs) we did a live stream and there were some comments where some of our uh you know top fan people were like oh man whatever the first show back is (laughs) like we are going (laughs) ham
0: (laughs) Well, I'll tell you, just from talking to you here for this time, you've already brought up a number of things that were positive externalities, let's say, of this time. The projects you've done, the things you've learned. Um, So it seems like you are definitely making the best, have made the best use of this time uh, for whatever that's worth.
3: Yeah, I think, you know, other things that have helped is um, our Patreon really helped. You know, we started it right before the trailer got stolen in 2019. And then, you know... After the trailer got stolen, our car, we got in a car crash. The van got totaled. And then right after that, the world shut down. So that Patreon has been, like, supporting <laughs> us through some of the craziest things that we've ever experienced as a band. And, um, you know, we've been doing tour blogs, weekly quarantine tour blogs, and we've been doing, you know, throwback album reviews and a yeah, book club. We, like, we Zoom with our patrons every other week. Yeah. Yeah. And that's just been really, I think it's good for mental health, not just, you know, for us, but for everybody who's involved in it, just because it gives us a sense of, like, community through music in a time where it's really, you know, it's really hard to have that same feeling, uh, like I was just saying. So Patreon has been really awesome for that.
0: Yeah, that's great. Um, I want to give you a chance to talk about your educational projects. You started a nonprofit last year to work with young people. Do you want to talk about that a bit?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, it's been a passion project for a long time. And, uh, you know, one of the events that kind of sparked it was uh, we tend to go into schools and do workshops. And after we uh, did a workshop with a high school, a girl came up to us and uh, she told us that she like really missed playing viola. And we said, why don't you play viola anymore? And She (laughs) said she she couldn't keep her instrument uh, because she was traveling from house to house uh, Mm -hmm. through the foster care system. And we were like, okay, everyone needs at least the opportunity to play um, an instrument. I mean, it was hugely influential for us to get through middle school and high school. So we just reached out um, and we have this great community, like we had mentioned in uh, Michigan, but also we we put it out online to all of our musical family and our sponsors. And we were immediately overfunded. And so we got to um, give this girl a viola and we also got to connect her with um, private lessons. And so- We were like, we should make a nonprofit out of this. Yeah, we are like, we got <laughs> we kind of been doing things like that on and off between tours. And mm-hmm. now that we've had a year off the road, we, we officially um, started play it, <clears throat> play it Forward again and again. So uh, the way it works is teachers or students can apply and um, we pair uh, students, uh, with whatever instrument they're interested in learning, and yeah, find we have like mentors a mentors official
3: and... <laughs> board that overlooks the applications. At this point, we're of course we're on it, and you know we figure out what they're interested in. We reach out to local musician friends to see who okay. can be interested in teaching or mentoring. And then the way that the program is funded is by musicians kicking in five percent over a certain threshold of their live concert guarantees. So it's it's going really well. It's still yeah. it, we're you know we're getting started, but um, you know you can check it out. It's called Play It Forward again and again, and uh, we're really excited about it.
0: So you talked about songwriting workshops. This is a songwriting podcast, so let's talk maybe about what some of the overall concepts or themes you might try try to bring to a younger group of people when you're teaching them some songwriting.
3: This is so funny because we just wrapped up six workshops virtually about songwriting Okay. Um, over Zoom And they all have different themes So this is kind of fun um, <laughs> What's nice about, you know, different songwriting themes Is that everybody, songwriting is kind of ageless Like we've taught workshops to like 75 year olds To like 5 year olds Like there's yeah. they all kind of, everybody is innately You know, in tune to music or creativity um, And Beth Nielsen Chapman is another great songwriter um, Who actually, she was our first writer, And she said that Uh, Creativity is like oxygen. Anybody can breathe it. And we try to carry that wherever we go. But um, so some of the themes that we covered in our recent workshops were like using books as inspiration, where we would have everybody bring a sentence from their favorite book and we'd show how to create a song or a chorus based on, you know, that based on like taking words and shuffling them around. Uh, we did another one called using art as inspiration where everybody brought a different painting that inspired them and then we just had everybody like write as many things about this painting that they could in a minute and then we used that uh-huh. to create a song. Um what are the other ones? We did one based on like sync licensing.
1: Yeah, we um like the underlying theme is really for any age I feel like how to find inspiration. Mm. So right. that's that's basically where we went because I mean you can get stuck anywhere in the songwriting process. You can get stuck before you even Put a pencil to paper, or say you have an idea, but you don't know. You don't, you have this little seed, and you don't know how to grow it, or like mm-hmm. maybe you don't know if the song's finished or not. So, um, finding inspiration, I feel like, was the overall theme for for anyone, especially uh, the young students we go into schools. Like like Sav said, we can show them, hey, you can like take one of your favorite songs uh, or take a poem that you read in your English class
3: or, you know, take a newspaper article and and turn that into a song. Change like two words or write like you're a person in the room. And it's also, it's not only like how to to start the song, but it's also maintaining that inspiration throughout the song just because, you know, there's all kinds of roadblocks that you can hit. We found that out better through co-writing over Zoom Mm. than almost anything else. Like there are always going to be Roadblocks um, and the way that you get past those is just by finding different points of inspiration and you know working collaboratively and not being afraid of whether or not it's good or bad in the moment. It's that's so, such a time waster, you know. You can't can't get dragged down like that.
0: I would guess that in through teaching these workshops, it has um, helped you all progress in your songwriting as well.
3: Yeah. I think it's been a while since we've like re- had time to like yeah, sit down and write I, a personal. I song. feel like
1: I've had this battle where I'm like I'm teaching people how to be how to be inspired, but lately, like I've just been like I don't know what to write about. And so yeah. it's, it's also you know carving the time out to to take some of your own advice, and that's been a big theme of um, this last year too is mental health because you know like Michael said earlier um, we are used to like doing three days in the studio where from 10 a.m. to midnight you're working and you're you're putting this music together or you're on tour and you just can't do that when you're at home it's like you have to take time you have to take care of yourself you have to do your laundry you have to take (laughs) a shower (laughs) like you have to build in that time so um that's been a big a big piece of that mental health going forward
0: I heard you mention one of you mentioned that I don't know what to write about. And I've, uh, your first thought as a non songwriter is, Oh, they have all this time. They're going to write all these songs, but don't you think that not being out on the road and not touring is not giving you the experiences and the, um, interactions that really are the heart of, of a lot of your ideas.
3: I think there's a song on the timeout EP that kind of best summarizes, um, how we've taken that and processed it. And it's called might as well be gold. And, um, it's all about you know the things that we can still be grateful for. I think experience happens wherever you decide it happens. You have to just kind of stop everything you're doing and take in the fact that you can process color or like that you live in a place where the snow is so pristine. Even if it is just heavy and falls all the time, it's pristine and it looks gorgeous today or it's falling in this way that really strikes you in the moment. like. It yes, the connectivity of being on the road is so integral. But there's also just so much to still write about during this time. Even just the way that you're processing this time to put something to words, to put how you feel to words, um, it has heart too. Especially yes. since we're all processing this together, writing about this experience, you know, is a source of healing for people who listen to it too. Because they just, we all need to know that we're not alone in this. And we felt like that before, and we feel like that now.
0: I like it. Let's talk about one more song Um, anyway, co-written with Tom Paxton, right? Okay, I'm not a young man. In fact, I'm willing to admit this. My daughter Lucy is an associate of yours, right? So I'm older. (laughs) I first heard Tom Paxton when I was a young boy, and my 98-year-old father played his records around the house, right? So pretty wonderful that Tom himself is still creating and collaborating. What was it like to work creatively with someone who is maybe several musical generations ahead of you, right? It'd be one thing to say, oh, we're going to honor this person by covering one of his songs. But here you are actually creating with him. Um, so, so what was that like? And can you talk maybe about the song a little bit?
1: Yeah, Tom is amazing to work with. Um, I mean, he is just constantly like dropping these like nuggets of wisdom, and um, telling us stories about his life and about uh, his songwriting process. Um, and he always comes to the table with an open mind, which I think uh, is just feels really good. Like it's a safe space to write. So uh, most of the songs we've written with him, you, usually we come to the table with an idea, or he'll. Uh, give us a prompt, and anyway, it was a song uh, that Sab brought to the table with a little voice memo. Uh, late at
3: night. Late at night, as, as usual. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is, um, you know, I think this is the heaviest song on the Time Out EP. It's definitely just absorbing the most amount of grief and loss and anger, um, and it's a song about mental health. I know we've been talking about it a lot, but everybody is going through it right now. It's becoming um, something more talked about as it should be. Um, And I think part of that is because of the extreme isolation that a lot of people have experienced to different degrees this year. But there are some days where um, I think everybody knows the kind of day where you just really don't want to get out of bed. Um, And that was just something I was experiencing, you know, early on in the year. And I just needed to put words to it. And it's funny because, you know, one of the things that we teach in our workshops is stream of consciousness being a great way to get started. And this was one of those. And I was a little worried when it came out that it was too heavy, like, you know, how we were talking about injecting hope into the last verse of every song, you know, or the chorus. And there's not a whole lot there for this one. It's mostly just being like, you know, it's just another morning. It's just another day. And you can take that two different ways. It's be like, all right, another day to try something new. Or, you know, it is another day that I don't want to get out of bed. And I think the variability of that chorus is just important for whoever needs to know that they're not alone in that feeling one way or another. Um, I think it's just important to process that that grief um and to 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 realize that not everything you know every every album is gonna have its point of just feeling like you're at the rock bottom every every process in life is gonna is gonna have that too so so yeah that's that's where the song comes from and it was really interesting to write that with Tom because. He is, you know, 83 years old, we're 25. There's a 60 year age gap in between us. Right. And um, yet he's able to help put some of this to words. Um, you know, I didn't have a third verse or a second verse and he helped piece together what we were feeling, um, all three of us really. And we were able to kind of find find words to what, what, this, what the general feeling of society right now is. And that was, kind of incredible to have you know cross-generational emotional equivalents. Um, and I think it's just important to bridge those gaps when you can. Everybody is going through something, and I think that's what that song is about.
0: Yep, That's great. I'm
3: afraid of what we've made It's a consequence of silence There's no beauty in the violence Daybreak I lie awake, it's just another sunrise, it's just another sunrise, anyway.
0: Okay, I think I've taken almost enough of your time up today um <laughs> we I, could talk I for a, another hour you know, I, I just, know like, this, like, just like yeah we're like oh my gosh we need to do more
1: podcasts and just like
0: well maybe process. episode episode two for well there is a second part of this ep yeah it's going to be a second half of this um but i do have one more question something i like to ask all of my guests do any of you play the musical saw
3: i do sam mm-hmm.
1: yeah, does <laughs> Hi. She brought it to the to uh, our high school cafeteria uh, yeah, it, one apparently, day. Apparently apparently,
0: I don't actually I'm ask that school. to you know, all of my guests. I happen to. They don't read allow musical
3: saws <laughs> at art school cafeterias, by the way, just for future reference for anybody who st- would.
0: Do you still play the musical saw?
3: Yeah, I've played it on a couple of records of, of ours actually. You have. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, on bittersweet. It's on a bunch of them. I I was really getting excited about it. Um. And I still have it. it. There's no difference between a musical saw and regular saw. It just says, it's, there's like a stamp on the side that says musical, um, but you know, any, if you have like, you know, your bow and you have a good upper arm strength, you can, you can play the saw too. That's the lesson to take away from today. Also right. I remembered what that those kids called um, one of our songs. They call the end the running song because yeah, it's fast. Yeah, I remembered that one too. Wait. And I think that's adorable. <laughs> yeah, you
1: don't, you don't have to include this, but uh, okay. <laughs> Like
0: okay, that means so, we're definitely going to include
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, so Nathan is one of the boys. He is seven years old, I believe. He calls our song Michigan, and again, the lay down in the grass song. I
3: love that because oh, it just awesome. has total disregard for the state, which is like the most memorable <laughs> part of it. <laughs> it's all about laying in the grass. And, that's uh, he, great. They call crow's feet the structure song.
1: The what? The structure song. Structure. <laughs> Structured and comforting is one of the lines. Oh, oh my
0: oh, goodness. Wow. Kids
1: are Rising. amazing. All right. There's your little your
3: nugget.
0: <laughs> uh, That's. I think we're going to lead with that section. Okay, guys. Thank thank you all. Sav, Michael, Katie, thanks so much for taking the time today. Um, I look forward to, and as you've mentioned, your fans, and we all look forward to seeing you out on the road in person sometime soon.
3: Hey, thanks so much for yeah, talking to us. Thank you. All shall be